Well, tonight I'm going to try to talk about something that I'm hoping will be practical for you, and that is how to determine God's will for your life. Because the reality is, for many of you, you know, grade school, your parents pretty much tell you what to do, and you start to get a little bit more independence, and then high school a little bit more, but now you've left the parents pretty much absolutely, completely behind. I mean, they're still around, hopefully, to pay some of that school bill, but the decisions are yours, largely, if not entirely. What's my major going to be? Who am I going to end up with? What was the one about relationships in the end times? I mean, this is going to be interesting. I need to know. What about my relationships in the end of time? Maybe we should speed things up. I don't know. Before the world ends, we should get married tomorrow. What do you think? <clears throat> I don't know what he'll present, but maybe it'll be that. So when I was here, <clears throat> I was on, they called it Second West. I don't know if it's in the 100s because it's right on the corner of Taos, right by the promenade. And my roommate and I had that room, and we liked it because as an RA, I got to pick that room. I had two windows on this side and then another one on this side, and we had just the view of everything. And as we were settling into our dorm room, uh, you know, you kind of improve it over the year. And I happened to be in a pet shop. I think it was PetSmart or one of those. And I was going past, did anybody go into the fish department there? And you just look at all these fish. And there's just, they're teeming with And I go past the goldfish, and it says something like three cents for a goldfish. And I thought, that. I can handle that. Now, I, I don't know what I'm going to put it in, but goldfish, they don't need all the extra stuff, you know, the filter and the bubble maker and all that kind of, they probably would like it, but they can just have a bowl. And so that, I said, I got to go price out the bowl. Sure enough, the bowl was like $10 and then a little bit of food. And, and then I thought, well, if I'm going to go to all this trouble and if the goldfish is only three cents, I'm going to get more than just one. And so I said, I'll take four goldfish. Oh, okay. And so, you know, I have to wait forever. And they come with their little net. And they're totally, like, not enthusiastic at all. Like, okay, which ones do you want? That one back there. Okay, that one's really hard to catch. Can I get another one? No, I really want that one. Okay, fine. Here it is. What else do you want? Finally, I get all of them, <clears throat> all four. And I have, I don't know, my goldfish bowl thing and my stuff in there. And as I'm leaving, I'm holding up my four bags of four goldfish, and, and somebody else comes by, and she kind of gives me this look that works there, and I'm wondering what the look's about, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, how many goldfish will survive in this one bowl? And she scowls at me. Anybody here work at PetSmart? And she says, one. I said, oh, okay. And I just proceed to check out. <clears throat> so I get back to my dorm room there at Tauch, and I say, hey, Michael, check this out. I'm going to add something to the room. We got a goldfish. Okay, where should we put it? We put it there, you know, and we dumped them all out. And guess what the lady at the store said? What's that? Only one can survive in this bowl. There's not enough air in the bowl. Whoa. What are we going to do? I don't know. We're just going to see who survives. Let's make it interesting. How should we make it interesting? Oh, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. Let's name each of the goldfish after a different girl on campus. 
And the one that survives sees the one for you. You know, okay, we can do that. Oh, but here's the thing. We have to make it even more interesting than that. What? Well, you get to choose two girls that you're sort of interested in, and I get to choose the other two girls. And his face was like that you're totally not interested in. All right, can we do that? Yeah, they all have these markings, and so we actually wrote out on a little post-it note, Okay, the one that has, because I don't want to end up marrying this girl that's the wrong one because we didn't take good, right? So we're taking good notes here on our piece of paper, and then we just wait. And already there's two goldfish I'm watching more closely, and two other goldfish I'm hoping just maybe don't make it. Not trying to be mean, you know, everybody's a child of God, that just doesn't mean I want to marry them. So the first day goes by, nothing seems to happen. But then I think it's like the second day or into the second day, I come back from class and Michael says, guess what? What? Oh, what? what? One of the goldfish died. <laughs> I know this is a very heartless story. I have, <laughs> I have another story about goldfish that actually was years later. We wanted to put them in a pond where we lived back in North Carolina, and it was a very shallow pond, and we thought this would be a great idea with the kids, and they all gathered. Again, goldfish are cheap. And we let them out, and they're all like, and then they just all disappeared in this black hole, and we discovered that bass love goldfish. <laughs> I'm telling you that not so you'll hate me as the fish killer, but as the fish saver. Because it kind of scarred our kids. Okay, so back to the other. Um, where was I? The dead goldfish. Which one was it? And so we had to look, and sure enough, and I don't even remember which one it was, but crossed off the list. And then a few more days, another one crossed off the list. Until now, it's just down to two. A girl I'm kind of interested in, and a girl I'm not interested in at all. You know, you have all these tests and quizzes. And no, I'm thinking goldfish. <laughs> I mean, my whole future is, okay. So, <clears throat> sure enough, it comes down to the last goldfish dies. Guess which goldfish won. Now, this, you're not going to believe this. This is a true story. The goldfish that won was named... Elizabeth. And she's right there. <laughs> what? So now, man, you know how to choose your wife. Should we pray? Is that how you want to determine God's will for your life? You know, there's four majors I'm considering four goldfish or four reptiles. I mean, does that make any sense? Who said no? I thought it was a great idea. <laughs> it really doesn't make any sense. So let's see if we can't figure out something from the Bible that makes a little more sense in how to determine God's will. I don't know if you brought your Bibles. I don't know where you came from. 
Uh, and if you maybe it wasn't convenient to carry your Bible around, maybe you have one on your phone. And if you do, I trust you'll be looking at the text and not texting. But uh, we're in Matthew chapter 14, and I'm going to begin this story in verse 22. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And just prior to that, we have the death of John the Baptist. But as it relates to Jesus here, he's just fed the 5,000. And this is a big success, if you will. I mean, this is incredible. And the crowd is really excited about what's just happened. The disciples are really excited about what just happened because they're thinking in advance. They're thinking ahead. These disciples, they don't mess around. They're really wanting Jesus to get on the map because if Jesus gets on the map, that puts them on the map and that's right where they want to be. And they're arguing over who's going to be on his right, who's going to be on his left. That comes later. But they have something in mind for Jesus. Sadly, what they have in mind for Jesus is not at all what Jesus has in mind for his ministry. Isn't that right? But here they're catching a glimpse. What could this be like? I mean, if this guy can just feed 5,000 on a whim, we could overcome the hated Romans, and then if somebody gets hurt in battle, he could just heal them on the spot, and we don't have to bring the whole culinary art department. We can just feed people. This will be great. And so the crowds are really ramping up. In fact, Spirit Prophecy tells us they really want to make him king. And the disciples love this idea. They're wanting to promote this idea, perhaps even fostering this idea. And then all of a sudden there's a switch. And that's where we're going to pick up our story. We're in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. It says, immediately Jesus made or compelled, it might say in your ver version, with great urgency. Uh, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So he made them, he compelled them. This was against their wishes, against with their plans, against what they wanted. Desire of Ages tells us more, too, that they were kind of arguing and bickering. Wait, 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 how, what is, what's happening? What's going on? You're not coming with us? Why are we in these boats? We had this whole plan. And they get pushed off. He dismisses the, the crowd. And it says, when he had sent the multitudes away, verse 23, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. I can just hear them mumbling in the boat. You blew it. What do you mean I blew it? You blew it. You're the one that was supposed to know me. You're the one that... Back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And Jesus is on the mountain, and he's praying, and he's praying, and he's praying. How long does he pray? It says, now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. That's kind of a calm way of saying it, but there's a storm that's brewing. And the storm gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it says, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them. Now you know this story. But let's think about this for a minute. I imagine this, ha this story of feeding the 5,000, it was probably before dark. It was probably maybe at twilight. So maybe when he put them in the boat, maybe it was about 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. 
Fourth watch, you have four watches. So this is the last watch. So we're talking like late into the night. And so they've been out there toiling, maybe eight hours, maybe nine hours. In Mark's account, it says toiling in rowing. Anybody been in a storm at sea? I don't see many hands. That's probably a good thing. That's a scary place to be. That boat is up, it's down, it's taking in water. They were trying to sail, but now the wind is coming from every direction. What are we going to do? And Jesus is still up there praying. But on the fourth watch of the night, it says, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. NIV says they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out with fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Your version might say, Take courage. And then Peter speaks up. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now maybe you've never... <clears throat> thought of this story in the context of God's will and how to decipher God's will, but I think there's kind of a micro story within this greater story because he's asking something. He's saying, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it's you calling me to this major, make it plain. If this is the person I'm supposed to be with, help me to know some way, somehow. Maybe we're praying and we're reading the scriptures, we're asking for a sign, we're talking to all different things. But he's saying, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. How to determine God's will. That can be a tricky thing, because if we're not careful, we can be like the disciples were earlier on in this story. We know God's will better than God knows God's will. We like to tell God what his will for me is. It's almost more like a Santa's wish list. And how do I do this without manipulating the process? I mean, is this really God speaking? Is this really a sign that he sent? Or did the devil overhear my prayer and this is his sign? Or, 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 or what? Well, there's a few principles that we need to think about. First principle is knowing the difference between a, a conviction and an impulse. Now, when I went and saw those goldfish, was that a conviction or an impulse? I think you're right. Why? Why? Well, an impulse is more flighty, isn't it? It's here today, gone tomorrow. You know, all of a sudden you're going down the road and you see that car and you say, I got to have that car. And then the next day you see a different car and you say, I got to have that car. And it's like every day it's a different thing. And, but at the moment you think this is, I got to have it or whatever, but then you move on to the next thing. That's more of an impulse. But a conviction typically starts small, I wonder if, and then it grows over time. It builds, if you will. 
And so I think it's important to, to be able to recognize the difference between a conviction and an impulse. Um, <clears throat> also, we need to remember to simply ask, claim James 1.5 for wisdom. If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask and God will give liberally, right? That's a good thing. I mean, that's, that promise is one of those low-hanging branches. We're foolish if we don't pick that promise every single day and say, Lord, give me wisdom today, right? We have other promises. Give us the Holy Spirit. All these, you know, how much more would your Heavenly Father like to give you good gifts than we like to give to our children? And how much more would you like to give us the Holy Spirit to those that ask? So we need to be asking for those things. Um, another principle that we need to be clear about is that God will never lead you in a direction that goes contrary to His Word. Isn't that true? I tell you, as a pastor, I hear some of the most ridiculous things. Well, pastor, <clears throat> my wife and I, we haven't been getting along real well, and it's just been kind of tense between us, but there's this secretary at work, and, and we've been having Bible studies together, we've been praying together, and we've really been asking the Lord if it's His will for us to be together. What? You're married. I know, but we're just praying if God feels like it's... No, 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 that's not how this works. It's never God's will for you to go contrary to Scripture. You don't have to pray if it's God's will for you to keep the Sunday holy. You just read the verse and you say, okay, I, I know. I don't have to pray about that. For this... Uh, time in your life, it probably has more to do with the fact, uh, Pastor, right, there's this girl that I really like. She's so sweet. She's so nice. She's beautiful. Comes from a great family. Uh, she's Christian, actually. Um, not, not Adventist, but she's Christian. And I'm just praying if we should be together. Now, we had to be careful with that one, because perhaps they may decide they want to be a Seventh-day Adventist. And perhaps God is leading you to do that. Sometimes we call that missionary dating. But you better be very careful about that because you are mixing a lot of things together. It's one thing to say, you know what, we'll just be friends. And if that happens over the course of this Bible study we're both a part of, then maybe we could go to that next step. But if that doesn't happen, we're not going to go there. I'm not going to emotionally invest. And I know somebody's out there saying, well, Pastor, right, Seventh-day Adventist and a Christian, that's close enough. That's what I hear a lot. That's close enough. You know the verse, 2 Corinthians 6.14? I'll just read it to you. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? They still come to church with me, and I go to church with them, and it's fine. And Marriage is a wonderful thing, but it's filled with its own challenges. The challenges that you don't need are now we have kids and they don't want to go to church twice every weekend. And 
They want to watch movies on Friday night, and you want to have worship on Friday night. And the list goes on and on. Grandma dies. Well, she's in heaven. No, she's not. Spirit of Prophecy, in Adventist Home, page 67, it says, To connect with an unbeliever is to place yourself on Satan's ground. You grieve the Spirit of God and forfeit his protection. That's strong talk. Can you afford to have such terrible odds against you in fighting the battle of everlasting life? Here's another place, second volume of the Testimonies, 248. If you didn't like that one, you really won't like this one. Satan is busily engaged in influencing those who are wholly unsuited to each other to unite their interests. Whoa. He exults in this work, for by it he can produce more misery and hopeless woe to the human family than by exercising his skill in any other direction. Ah! That's intense. He's trying to match you up with the wrong person because he can cause more hell in your life that way than any other way. <laughs> you better be paying attention. How about this one, though? I mean, because she's Christian, right? Though the companion of your choice, this is volume 5 of the Testimonies 364. Though the companion of your choice were in all other respects worthy... You know, good family, cute. I don't know if she's talking about cute, but anyway. Yet he was not, or he has not accepted the truth for this time. What's the truth for this time? Three angels' message. If he has not accepted the truth, if she has not accepted the truth for this time, he is an unbeliever and you are forbidden of heaven to unite yourself with him. You cannot, without peril to your soul, disregard this divine injunction. Ouch. I read this to a mother one time who was trying to convince me that this was okay. And she just started weeping and she says, You're right, you're right, you're right. I should have never, it's, it's not a good thing. I'm just, I'm, I'm upset. Now, granted, this is your decision. I'm not telling you what to do. I just read some quotes. But I don't necessarily want to bring the greatest woe upon myself than any other possible line that the devil has. But if that is your choice, knock yourself out. <clears throat> Where were we? All right, conviction versus impulse. Determined to do nothing that goes contrary to God's word, right? I think a third one we, we need to remember, seek godly counsel. Seek godly counsel. Because I know just from looking at your eyes behind those masks that you're good. And you know just who to ask to get the counsel you want to hear. Right? In fact, all of us are good at that. If we want to do this thing, I know I'm going to talk to Stephanie. She'll tell me to do it. I'm going to go over here and talk to Mark. He'll tell me that's a great idea. And so we, we plan in advance. We don't even necessarily think about it, but, but we need to think about it. Am I seeking godly counsel or just what I want somebody to tell me? Be careful. 
And then fourthly, look for open doors. Lord, if this is the path you want me to take, there's some obstacles here. I don't know how this is going to work. First of all, she's got a boyfriend. I don't know. (laughs) But I feel like she's the one for me. Hey, looky there. They broke up. Could that be an open door? Now, I'm spending the most time on this first step. Lord, if it is you... Tell me to come because this is a step that if we rush it, we can spend almost forever thinking we made the wrong choice because we rushed it. Because let's face it, every marriage is going to have its challenges. Every job is going to have its challenges. Every job move or change or major or There's always going to be that weeder class that I'm not sure if I can get through this class, this professor. There's going to be something. And when you come against that challenge, you don't want to waffle at that moment and say, I knew this was the wrong idea, I'm going to die. You want to say, no, Lord, I prayed about this. I I might even have to go back and look at my journal or or the few things I jotted down in my Bible or something because it was so plain to me. I know this is what you called me to do, right? And so if you rush this step and you don't have that foundation, every challenge will be a doubt, 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 doubt. And now I'm just, I don't know, I'm a mess. So I would say this is perhaps the most important step. But then there's a second step here. Verse 29. So he, Jesus, said, come. I like the brevity of Jesus sometimes. Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now you know this story. You're familiar with this story. And Peter oftentimes gets a bad rap because we know what's going to happen, and we're going to throw him under the bus here in a minute. But we're really not that different from Peter. But here he says, Lord, if it's you, ask me to come. And the Lord says, it's me. Come. Come on. Now, there's still a storm raging out there. And the last place you want to be in a storm is where? Outside of the boat. I'm not sure we can get this boat back around to where you are, and in two seconds, you're so far away, we'll never get to you, and good luck. And so this boat is up and down, it's tossing, it's turning, there's waves, there's wind. They've been toiling for eight or nine hours just trying to survive, and now he has this idea to get out of the boat? Now, if I was Peter, I'd probably say, Lord, if it's you... Calm down the water. (laughs) Lord, if it's you, turn the water into ice. Ice? I can test ice. Right? Yeah, that feels pretty solid. We're trying to take a nap under there, probably. Yeah, I can, I can, I can, yes, okay, maybe the second foot, okay, I'm still, yes, yes, 
Yes, okay, yeah, I can do this. And we do that with God all the time. Lord, if it's you and you want me to be a doctor, you're going to have to give me the GPA to prove that I can do it. Lord, if you want me to go to this school, you're going to have to put all the money I'm going to need to afford it in my bank account before I sign up. Lord, if you're calling me to make this move, it has to make financial sense or, you know, whatever it might be. And we put all of these parameters, and I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong to say, Lord, I don't see how this is possibly going to work and be, and be responsible or what have you. Um, so that's not necessarily wrong, but I give props to Peter for saying, Lord, if it's you, ask me to come. And then what does he do? He gets out of the boat on water. You know, somebody's in that boat thinking, uh, Peter, you don't walk on water. What, you miss science class or something? Throw a brick at a window, you expect it to stick? I mean, hello. But he's not worried about that. There was a time that we were looking at a call. We felt the Lord was calling us to another place. We were upside down on our house by $30,000. Wow. How's this going to work? We didn't know it was going to work, but we felt so confident that God was calling us, we said, okay, the Lord will have to figure it out. And you might say, well, that's irresponsible. In some situations, I suppose it could have been, but we just felt God was calling us. Within one year, that debt was paid off. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow. I won't go into the details of that, but anyway... So Peter gets out of the boat. He gets out of his comfort zone. And first steps can be hard. That first step off the cliff when you're repelling, that first date, the first time in class, the first test, the first whatever. It's scary. But he does it. But we're not done with the story. Verse 30. It'd be nice if we could just end it there. But when he, Peter, saw the wind was boisterous, he was what? Afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Now, I like that he realized his need. But what was it that caused him to sink? Yeah, we know the, the answers from back when we were in Sabbath school, some of us. He took his eyes off Jesus, right? If a Sabbath school teacher asks you questions, it's always Jesus. He took his eyes off Jesus, true. There may have even been an element of pride, you know, or do you see what I'm doing? I am walking on water, brickhead. No, he didn't say that. Maybe an element of pride, but then there was also this element of fear. It says he was afraid. What's he afraid of? The wind, the waves. Like, reality check, what am I doing out here? <laughs> and he starts to sink. Lord, save me. And that's why we don't want to rush that first step, because those waves are going to come. It's part of life. As much as I wish I could guarantee, or give you some kind of a guarantee, if you follow God... All of your problems will just go away. That's not true. But you are assured that Jesus will never go away. 
He'll give you space if you ask for it, but he's always right there if you say, Lord, I'm ready, I need you right now. And so he cries out, Lord, save me. And immediately, I love that word in this verse, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, he caught Peter and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You asked if it was me, and I said, it's me. Go ahead and come. You started walking on water. I was sustaining you. But then you doubted. I can't do this. I can't do this. What am I doing? This is insane. This is crazy. I'm going to... And sure enough, it became its own self-fulfilling prophecy. And we do that sometimes with God, too. He says, I made it abundantly plain. This was what I wanted for you. Don't doubt when the waves come. Just trust me. And so Peter does super well at the, at the front end, but on the back end, rather than being fearful or prideful, taking our eyes off of Jesus, we just need to have that faith to finish. Right? <clears throat> And I guess I like this story because it's a well-known story, and maybe if it connects with you, you can put little notes in the margin of your Bible because I feel like it's just practical counsel. Step one, Lord, if it's you, ask me to come. Step two, he makes it plain through providence, through speaking to godly counselors, through all kinds of other things, through the study of his word. And, and for these reasons, I would encourage you, if it's a big decision, journal about why you're making that decision. So when the wave comes, you can go back and you can say, ah, I forgot about that. Oh, well, I never forget. Yes, you will. But if you have it written down, you can go back and you can refer to it and you can say, nope, I know this doesn't make any sense and, and they're not letting me take my test on Sabbath now and everything's going to be upside down and I, I knew I should, no, wait a second. God led me. Um, and then to finish the story, then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Um, I just want to encourage you, wherever you are in that process, to follow the process. Not to just rush into something. I'm going through this series at my church on Elijah, and he did that amazing thing on Mount Carmel. I mean, God did it, but he used Elijah, and Elijah was seemingly fearless. And then Jezebel threatens him, and he just tuck tails and runs. He doesn't pray about it. He just was praying about the cloud and all the rest, and he leads... All this stuff that he does, it's incredible. And, and how the Lord sustained him time and time and time and time again. And then I was shocked this last week or two when I was reading through Spirit Prophecy and Prophets and Kings where it says, if he would have trusted in God, I'm paraphrasing now, but if he would have trusted in God in that moment that Jezebel threatened him, God would have provided for him in a signal way as much or equal to the Mount Carmel experience. And I think, whoa! It's not that often we get that kind of an insight in spirit prophecy of what would have happened had someone done this or not done that. But she just says that would have been a huge event. So we would have talked about Mount Carmel and this other thing. But we don't hear about the other thing. Because he just ran. He didn't pray. He didn't 
say, Lord, if it's you, ask me to come or to stay or to go or whatever. Maybe you're in phase two. You've prayed about it. The Lord's made it plain. Now you're just a little timid to get out of the boat. Maybe I'll pray about it a little longer. A year later, maybe I'll pray about it some more. I used to joke about those couples that would date for four, five, six years. Are you going to marry this girl? Well, I just don't know. I'm thinking, after five years, if you don't know, man, you know. Move on. You've been dating somebody four or five years. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> You're fine. Maybe somebody needs to have the courage to get out of the boat. Or maybe you've gone through that process, you've gotten out of the boat, and now the winds and the waves are overwhelming. They're scary. You're fearful. You don't see how this is all going to work out. And maybe, unlike Peter, you just need the faith to finish. And we all take turns in those different steps with different issues. Sometimes we're in multiple steps on different things, and life gets complicated. But I am confident of this, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And he doesn't want to hide it from you. He doesn't want to mask it from you. I think he likes it when we seek after his will and when we make it a matter of prayer and when we study his word and when we talk to other people that have maybe experienced a little more life than we have, that we feel like are grounded also in the word. But I think in fact, I know God wants to lead you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I don't know where we get this idea that, well, God wants me to do this, but man, this would be awesome. From your perspective, but you don't have God's perspective. And you get over there into awesomeness, and it stinks. God's the one that has the plans that are best for us, always. Right? Sometimes the prettiest girls in college don't turn out to be the prettiest wives 20 years later. <laughs> I better be done preaching. Lord gave me a beautiful wife, and she's still beautiful. <clears throat> but I hope that that has been helpful in some regard. You can use either that method or the goldfish method, but I would recommend, yes, it worked out well for me, but I do want to assure you I used the other method too. I talked to godly counselors. I talked to my parents. They were super excited. I prayed about it. I studied the scriptures. I mean, you only hopefully get one shot at this, right? You don't want to mess it up. You're going to be waking up to that face forever. <laughs> but I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God led in that process. 
and she's been the biggest blessing to my life of anything I can, can come up with. Aside from, from Christ and, and his word, it's the gift of my spouse. And she's been wonderful. She's incredible. She's an encourager. She's, she helps me on my rough sides, too. That's important as well. I don't always like it, but it's for my best good. And so I just want to encourage you, because I know at this stage in your life, there's so many things, and you have to make so many decisions. But just know that God desires to lead you, and if you follow some of those simple steps, he'll make it, make it plain. Does that make sense? Amen. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this group, these individuals that have come out tonight, not even for double credit. Mercy. Bless them, Lord. <laughs> May their homework and their studying go twice as fast as they leave this place. But Lord, as they are trying to make decisions about life and the direction forward and what it might look like, and they don't always have the luxury to be able to wait forever on some of these decisions either. But Lord, I'm confident that you long to reveal to them your will, your plan. And sometimes when that thing that we so much hoped for doesn't work out, it's the thing that comes right on the heels that's a hundred times better. And we never would have had that opportunity had you said no to the other. And so Lord, you're the only one. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so that tonight we just want to recognize that. We want to submit ourselves to you. We want to submit our plans to you and pray that you will lead us and that you will guide us and that you will prosper us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.